I love that your mug matches your sweater. <laughs> Do you know I didn't know that until I just looked at myself on the camera? That is insane. You must have those warm fall colors in, in mind. Oh my goodness. I guess so. That's hilarious. I actually, when I made this, I showed the fiber to a friend and she said, that looks a lot like those fires you build. Because we have a fire pit in the backyard that is one of my favorite places to be. Like, don't let a branch fall in the yard. I'm like, oh, it's time to make a fire. <laughs> and so I showed it to her and she's like, that looks like all the logs and all the leaves and everything that you put out there to burn. I was like, oh, I really love that. So I guess I'm surrounding myself with these colors unintentionally. You must be like really it's awesome. Like, yes, needing that like warm embrace or something. I something. think so. Yeah, I just. I think so. Everything in the red and brown family, I'm a fan. I can see that. I mean, it would just totally suit you. Mm -hmm. love these colors. I don't wear red very well, but I just yes. love these warm colors. Like they're just oh. I love the sweater you have on. That's that's a red. It's like cranberry red. I can get away yes. with it. It's got the yeah. flex, the tweedy flex of uh, blue and yellow and black. It's the uh, discontinued blackstone tweed. Gotcha. Morocco. Yeah. I like heathering and tweed and anything that makes a color dimensional because it's not very sharp on you. I think it looks nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think it's um. It, yeah, it's the tweeds make all the difference, don't they? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. I like multi-dimensional, multi-layered color. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> hands, hands fun is, hands fun is great for that too. I feel like that's sort of why a lot of us get into it and why we're yes. into it, right? I would think so. In a world of store-bought items and that never seems to slow down, we make with our hands and tools. Here at Woolen Spinning Radio, we take a moment to breathe, to chat, to reflect. And as the world continues in a whirlwind around us, we sit quietly at our spinning wheels with our knitting needles and on our weaving loops. The gentle motion of twisting a spindle, watching it drop slowly to the ground, or the click-clack of needles tapping against each other as we turn a heel brings solace and comfort. We make with our hands because we love the process and value our handmade items. While they are never perfect, our yarns might be gently thick and thin or just plain over-twisted. In this place, we discuss what it means to be a maker, to use our hands. Join us as I chat with others in our community about these ideas, challenges, and rewards. Thank you for your time spent here in this place. You are always welcome. Well, maybe so. we should start off with you introducing yourself and telling sure. everyone <laughs> who you are, um, where maybe where you're located, and... Um, how you got into knitting and spinning and all things fiber. Okay. I am Marceline Smith. Most people call me Marce within some short time of knowing me. So I go by Marce and I'm also known as Hey Brownberry pretty much everywhere. I am a content creator, a knitwear designer. I love to spin, knit, crochet, dye, sew. Eventually, I will add weave and embroider on there, but I cannot, I cannot rightfully say that I weave or embroider right now. But yeah, I'm a maker. I live in South Florida. I am originally from Jamaica, and I'm a passport-carrying Canadian. Oh, no way. I lived, uh, yeah, I lived in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. I lived in Manitoba for 10 years, and I'm I... 
Wow, that's so funny. Is that so? Yeah, from Winnipeg, yeah. Yeah, they're all six, still there off Portage degrees. Avenue. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> that is awesome. Six degrees of separation. How cool. Yeah, we lived there for 10 years. From Jamaica to Canada was quite the switch, but I am a, I'm a proud Canadian. Um, yeah, I live in the southeast U.S. now, just north of West Palm Beach on the east coast of Florida. Um, quite tropical, <laughs> very much like my island home. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I guess, a bit strange that I love wool the way that I do, but I do. <laughs> was it you know, you were introduced to before you left Jamaica, or was it something you came to? I have, I think, like this cliche story of needing something to pass the time close to when I was having my first child. Uh, but really, I think it's more that my mom is a, is a maker, capital M maker. And she used to do macrame and she sewed clothes for herself and for my sister and I. She's a good cook. She loves to garden. She just loves to put her hands to things. So I think I was always inclined. But knitting, knitting was secondary. Crochet came first for me. Okay. Yeah, I started because she was really good at crochet. She used to do the filet crochet where you can make like the huge pictures in that tiny cotton thread yes. and, and do like lettering and magnifying glasses as they get older. Yes. Okay, yes. Yes. She used to do that as like a pastime. We had so much wall art that was my mom's crochet. So I think that my my upbringing was like when you work with fiber and thread it's for that craft Mm. and she didn't she's not a knitter now she never knits so when I started this was back in 2005 (laughs) I thought oh I'll I'll try something crafty I'll do crochet because if I get stuck then I can just ask mom and she can help me out the bliss of being ignorant about a craft my first crochet project was a shoulder to floor length lace dress that I made for myself (laughs) because no one was there to tell me that that's not a beginner project. And I was like, I can get books from the library. And if I don't understand something, I'll ask mom, what's the big deal? (laughs) So, and it was great. It worked out fine. It was frustrating like any new thing was, but it worked out fine. And then it happened that in the library, the crochet and knitting books were next to each other. So it was almost accidental, just curiosity. Yeah. 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 And my grandmother didn't do it. I hear lots of people talk about generationally. It's just been part of what they do. Um, I think for me, it was a general love of making more than a specific craft. And of course, you are multi-craftual now. <laughs> yeah, like you're, you know the knitting, the crochet, uh, the crochet, the spinning. So how did how did spinning kind of end up coming into your purview? Um, I uh, one of my best friends is Maria. She hosts the Ninja Chickens podcast. She's Ninja Chickens on on uh, Instagram. Um, we got to know each other through Instagram because of our our common interests. So making in general, knitting specifically and homeschooling. And so just talking back and forth, we got to know each other really well. And it ended up that she invited us to come and visit her and stay with her. She's in North Carolina, which is about 10 hours drive from me. And they were having a festival that she'd attended before that was like a 
a making slash survival festival. Like you could learn all these different survival skills and different crafts. And it was a multi-day thing. And I said, oh, that's a great reason to hop in the car and go visit. I took my daughters with me. And spinning was one of the things that was listed as a class option, learning to spin on a drop spindle. Never done it before. Maria already had a wheel and I knew of it. But I'm one of those people that says, as soon as you hear me say, oh, I'll never do that, guaranteed, give me a year and I'll be all into it. I just jinx <laughs> myself. So I was like, I will never, like, there's so much yarn out there. I would never spin my own yarn. I don't even understand this concept. But I saw that and for some reason I thought, well, that's a thing I've never done. And if I'm going to this festival and I get hours to learn it, it might be kind of fun. And I fell hard. Like, I think I had never connected the source material to the end product before that moment. And our teacher just broke it down to the basics. She was like, take fiber, add twist, you make yarn. And I'm like, what? Because <laughs> I think before you spin, it's like yarn comes from this magical place, you know, a mill or whatever. And somehow beautiful colors are put onto it. I wasn't even as deep into dyeing at that time. So it was all so mystical. But then to have it in hand and have somebody go, yeah, here are the steps. And um, we had the opportunity to buy a spindle and a little bump of fiber that day. So that really hooked me because I could go home and just practice and practice immediately what I'd learned. Yeah. That usually makes it stick for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you, there's, there's that hand memory, right? You've just yes. You can do it right away. Totally. Yeah. And I was staying in the house with another maker friend. So it's like the encouragement was right there. The support was right there. She had fiber. So now I'm looking at her stash in a totally different way. Like, Oh, you have all these fun things. Um, yeah. So I fell for, it. I fell for drop spindle spinning first. And I was like, well, I'm never going to get a wheel. I don't, what do I need a wheel for this? I have a dozen drop spindles, of course, because I'm like, oh, who needs a wheel? Yeah. <laughs> a year later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's so much connection. That's part of it. I'm a, I'm a connector. And I think there's so much connection to a, a sweater project oh, yeah. that you spun the yarn or you dyed the yarn. Or even if you just took care in buying specifically for that project, if you say you were buying a commercial or an indie dyed, if you can connect that product, that source material to the end product, I just think that appeals to me. Yeah, yeah. And I think for many spinners, the connecting the wool breeds, you know, oh, getting out yes. the sort of merino nylon kind of thing and sort of realizing that merino doesn't equal wool. Right. Just one type. Because that was a big, like, a huge... It was a light bulb moment. moment. Absolutely. Light bulb moment. Yeah, for me, it was like, what do you mean? <laughs> What's, there's I think... Just like dogs? Yeah. yeah. It's, you're saying that, and I'm, I'm relating to it, though I can't remember the moment where that next layer came, but mm. I totally relate to it. I think after I got my wheel... And suddenly, suddenly, I had all this fiber. <laughs> I this whole other stash that kind of develops. To yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I don't remember what the exact realization moment was about breeds, but that's also something I really appreciate about spinning now because, for one thing, you're not limited. That's what it makes me feel like. You're not limited to um, a, a type. So outside of what you can do with your own hands and how you can turn, you could turn Merino into all kinds of things just by how you spin it. But outside of that, the kind of yarn you can get out of something because of its natural properties, I find that, I find that freeing. That's how I would describe it. Um, It can also be frustrating. (laughs) Um, I have this. I don't know if I posted this in our Slack group yet. Thank you so much for hosting a whole corner of the community where someone who feels like a newbie like me can just go and talk about spinning stuff. Oh, I'm so glad that that's how you feel. Thank you. It's to- it's so warm and welcoming and also educational. Yeah. This I posted about how I'm sampling now after listening to a woolen spinning radio episode. Sample, sample, sample. Yeah, I just love your subliminal messaging, and it works because I didn't used to do that. <laughs> and I, I thought, I've got this braid, and I have all these plans, and I want to do things with it. Probably I'm still new enough that I start out with my default. When it comes to spinning, I start out with my default draft and my default prep methods, and all that stuff starts the same every time. But then I thought, okay, I'll try this sampling thing, which I'm a believer in swatching for knitting anyway, so I'm okay with that. So I swatched this this fiber. Oh, that's beautiful. I love it so much. It's elastic. It's oh, look at that. What is really that? airy. This one is... Um, oh, look at that stretch. Yep. Huge. Pops right back. Pops right back. It's... Cat and Sparrow Fibers, the blend is Polworth, Shetland, and some silk. That's a comb and prep? Like she's it is. Mm-hmm. It's a comb top. They dye it. The dye, so once you learn certain elements of the craft, it's like you pay attention to those elements and other things. So I will say that the the dyeing of the braid was done well. You know, not a lot of blank spots and things like that. So the color is really rich. It is. But when I was... Teal is beautiful. Oh, I love that color so much. (laughs) Um, Teal and gray together, like you have in here, just I'm all about it. (laughs) Yes, 100%. Um, yeah, so I was starting with my default and I had already committed that I would just do a little sample and, you know, two ply kind of sport weight is what I naturally spin. And I was struggling because I was trying to do, I do kind of a short backward draft very naturally. Okay. And I was trying to do that and losing a lot of the silk, you know, it was getting bunched up, um, Kind of caught in your hand, right? Like, yes, just bundled up in my hand. Forward, and then there's all the silk left. Okay, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then I, I have my reference books that tell you about staple length. And I think that I was just, I was drafting too long and had a lot of breakage. Um, and I spin as a meditation. Like I want rhythm and I want flow as quickly as possible. Uh, so kudos to you for turning that person into a person who will then stop and sample and swatch. <laughs> yeah. 
because usually it's not how it goes. Um, but yeah, I was struggling and I thought, okay, I'm going to actually figure out what this fiber, how it wants to be spun. And I took what I had on the wheel. I just did a plying bracelet, quick two ply, knit this swatch, um, spun it in the washing machine nice. so that I could see how it would lay and it it puffed up so much here i was trying to spin this very fine worsted like sock yarn Mm -hmm. and when i just let it be and once i knit it i was like this does not want to be compressed into anything it's just not happening so that was informative for me that's amazing i went back to the rest of it and i spun this this is like a worsted weight probably yeah like a heavy worsted I spun this um semi woolen like I got some good long draw out of it and just let it move how it wanted to let go of the fiber supply yes not holding on to that fiber supply and holding that silk back yeah exactly right and then everything was flowing together and I felt like the first eight grams took forever and the other 92 was done (laughs) like that. that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was crazy. So I'm a, I'm a convert. I'm a, I'm definitely a sampling convert. Wow. And, and And I, what a difference, right? Like you can still get into the flow. Totally. Taking that moment at the beginning of a project and. Yeah. It's interesting how I don't, often brings the same habits from one craft to another because when it comes to knitting sweater knitting for example i'm making the citrine pullover right now oh i don't know if i've seen that yeah it's by emily green Mm -hmm. she's got a like a really hefty rib section on the hem and on the cuffs and when it comes to sweater knitting i am very happy to sit down just with the pattern and crunch numbers and do math and I'll swatch and figure things out. Most of the time when I'm knitting a sweater body, I can probably go to pattern in terms of measurements, but um, I'm a, I'm a former weightlifter and I'm curvy. So my, my upper arm is never <laughs> the right ratio for whatever was in the pattern. I hear ya. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm just as likely to take something that was full length and make it cropped or go the other way. So I never had an issue doing that part separate from the knitting and being like, let me plan this project out. I need to figure out in this particular sweater, for example, I'm knitting a size three body and the size two sleeves. Oh, so you're kind of doing the opposite. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm, no, I said that wrong. I'm doing the size two body and the size three sleeves yep. because that's the extra room I need. Totally. But you know, that's math. And mm-hmm. she goes to this measurement by the time you've done increases in this area and I need to get to this measurement. So how many rounds does that mean? I love that stuff. Oh, so wow. I think about that. I'm perfectly willing to do it with my knitting. I should, I should probably also do it with my spinning. <laughs> as I say not as I do (laughs) yeah like come on Mars this is also about not wasting time you know yeah oh I'm a big don't waste time person yeah yeah Yeah. so Um, I think once that clicked for me with the spinning I was like yeah I'll sample (laughs) that means I get more out of this braid that will end up the way it should have been whatever that means right of course you can 
I don't want anyone to think that I am becoming this hyper vigilant spin every fiber a specific way person. That's not my nature, but it's more like how soon can I get to that rhythm? Is it about me and changing my technique or is it about me adjusting to this fiber? Totally. It's more like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Almost like taking the intuition, spinning something intuitively, take that to the next level. So if yes. I sit here and cause the thing is, is you'll get to that point. This is where I got to, and I got into a real rut where you can you get to this the point where your skill level is high enough that you can make every single fiber spin the way you want it because uh, sort of quote unquote good enough that you can yes. make it spin your way right and i think um that intuitive nature of spinning is really great because you get into that like very mindless moving meditation it's very relaxing um, yep. but you start creating the same yarns over and over again. So mm. yarn is exactly the same and it doesn't matter if it's Swalsdale or Massim or Finn or Merino. Um, one might have more twist and one might have less twist because you've compensated for those different fiber types, but you're right. making the same yarn over and over and over again. Huh. Very That's interesting. really interesting. I just, I just finished recording a podcast episode for you and I sat down together okay. and yeah. I was talking a bit about this handspun project and I said in there, I don't know if I struggled because I just don't have the skill yet to make this fiber do what I want it to do interesting. or if it's just not meant to be that way. So I find it interesting that you said that. So it's something that I may not have a distinct n knowing when that has happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be several skeins in and I'm like, hmm. Yeah, something that evolves over time. Yeah. How long is Which it is good. Run for? Oh. Not for a beginner, but to me, you're quite advanced because you're wearing a handspun sweater. What <laughs> <laughs> you should talk about? <laughs> yeah. Um, two years, 2000, going on three years. Awesome. Yeah, going on three years because that festival where I learned to drop spindle spin uh, was 2017. Okay. Um, yeah. And I've actually taught now. I've taught drop spindle spinning a few times. Um, I do still love that because, because maybe other people can relate to this. I mean, my yarn is the most consistent on a drop spindle Ditto. and often it's just a question of speed. Yeah. Do you think it's speed, but also having to be consistent when you're on a spindle? Like as it's dropping, you've really got to be drafting the same Yes. And then I find the weight of the spindle on the yarn, that changes the yarn. You don't have Definitely. that weight of a wheel hanging. <laughs> it's true. It but on the, the yarn. on the other hand, I think what happens with a drop spindle, this is the way I've um, explained it to beginners, is you have so many more stop points when you're working on a drop spindle that you're just consistently checking in on what's happening. So with every drop and return of your spindle, you're kind of checking your fiber supply and you're looking so directly at the yarn that you've made or the single that you've made that I think it's just multiple, multiple checkpoints. Whereas with the wheel, so much yardage has gone on to the bobbin. By the time you're really figuring out your rhythm, a lot of that single has already been made. Um, you don't control that cadence as much. 
That is such an interesting comment. I think you nailed it. I think that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah, yeah I, I started noticing like, I know I'm not cranking out a lot of yarn on these spindles, but they look good. You know, I, I like what comes off of there. Yeah. It resonated with me when uh, Debbie held, she did a support spindling workshop and she oh. saves all of her luxury fiber for on her support spindles because she yeah, that's really cool. wants to savor it. And, um, that really was like an aha moment for me a while ago. Cause I, I was just like, you know, if you have those braids in your stash that you just really want to savor, save them for the spindles. Cause that's where, like you Love say, that. that checking in that constant, um, there's, it's all, I, this is such a sort of living in the time that we're living in. Like I think mm -hmm. of it as sort of analog versus digital. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You could use the machine or you could be the machine yeah. and it's a different, you know, it's a very <laughs> different experience. Absolutely. Cause they're both machines. They're both right. machines. Yeah. I remember yeah. Sarah Fibercheck. She had said once when we were chatting once um, she was trying to decide if she should get a sidekick or not. And she had a Lendrum. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, she's like, I kind of feel like the Lendrum is the, is the wooden canoe and the sidekick <laughs> is like the Kevlar. <laughs> I mean, that's advancement, right? That's, that's how it goes. Someone will have figured out that one component that you could improve um, yeah. and change change the experience and I guess you know there's room for both uh, naturally I gravitate toward what was and this sweater got made because I thought I love longer projects that you sink into and I know that I love the knitting of that so what would it be like if the whole project included creating the yarn like that talk about sinking into something long-term because it took me months to uh, do the fiber combination and then do the actual spinning. Because so, the first hand spun sweater, right? First ever. Yeah. Cause I'd love yeah. to hear more about it. Yeah. yeah it's the, um, it's the Jewist two pattern by Anka Strika. Oh, I'm not even sure I know how to spell that. Yeah. It's uh, in the show notes. Yeah, I can send you the link too. Yeah, do you mind? Because I have to. No, I don't mind at all. Thank yeah. you. Um, she's an excellent designer. She's got a lot of sweater patterns too that I. Well, take a look. I, I, I don't want to presume your aesthetic. Just from what I've seen you make, I think you would like it. Well, Anka is so. A um, she's so talented, anyways. Yes. So <laughs> Yeah. And I'm not sure. I just am not sure I've seen like this particular sweater. Yeah. It's J U I S T and there's a number one and a number two. Yeah. So you did number one, two. I did number two. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's even featured you on the pattern page. That's amazing. Mars. It's nice to have talented friends. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's awesome. She was so excited about the fact that it was done in hand spun that we had a whole conversation about it. <laughs> Well, she's a spinner herself. Yep. Right. And I said to her, yeah, she's multi-craftual as well and super talented. And I, I think I put this one in the bundle that you have in the Ravelry group oh, for okay. hand-spun friendly projects because, I mean, it's got all the elements. She, she gives you good options for um, 
you know, short rows to bring up the back of the neck and a really interesting increase for the yoke and sleeves. Yeah, I'd never done this particular increase before and she provides video tutorials. So for me, it was not 100% a plain pullover. Like there was enough mindful work to be done. And then, um, I, you know, I was able to do what I wanted to with the sizing and that sort of thing, but there's also enough just knitting that the hand spun can shine and my little nubbly bits of like changing gauge is all fine. You know, (laughs) how the knitted fabric hides our slight imperfections of the hand. So great. I'm grateful for it. always amazed like I'll have this yeah. yarn and I'll look at it and I'll think oh my goodness here we go and yeah you knit it up and you're like it doesn't matter that it went from fingering to worsted it's <laughs> so true and I have skeins like that in this sweater wow. I think that there's something really empowering to that because at one point I wouldn't have said I would have said oh I can't spin a sweater's quantity of yarn But what I did with this one is I spun two braids. I think they were each, you know, a couple hundred grams each, maybe like 230 grams each. And then I used some Brooklyn Tweed Loft, which is a woolen spun yarn for the collar and the, um, just the collar and the hem. And then I striped in some of it as I went. So adding in, maybe a total of one skein of commercial yarn for striping. That's I had a sweater's quantity. Wow. Just one skein, eh? Yeah. Wow. Because I was able to spin enough of the yarn at it at a, I would say it's DK to worsted mostly mm-hmm. um, at that gauge to have, I mean, it's a good length. I have the sleeves are, you know, beyond wrist. They're not and tight. They've got a nice, yeah. I probably have, a good three inches of ease in the body and adding on the Brooklyn tweed at the bottom, I was able to go maybe two and a half, three inches past my top hip. So that's, yeah, it's ideal in terms of sizing, but it's, it's essentially what I'm saying is it was an easy way to stretch the yarn (laughs) that I spun. Um, Some of it, right? Cause sometimes that real hand spun striping look, it's not, it's not for everybody. It isn't. And I wasn't sure it's one thing to see something in the skein and it's another to see several inches of it knit up. Yeah. Like it's very different when you're just looking at strands of your hand spun and then like in the swatch swatches that I've done, you know, this looks great, but I realized that if this was, if this swatch was then taken out 10 inches wider, you have much thinner stripes of each color band and it's a very different thing. So I wasn't sure at first how that would work out with the sweater. Um, It's to me, it's a pleasing kind of striping because it's stark in some places, but very subtle in others. So it was compelling for me. I thought, okay, well maybe in my next one, I have a nice farm yarn for color work yoke and all the color work is in hand spun. I love that effect when you see, you that. know, yeah. I Absolutely. think that would be beautiful. The movement of the color through it. It's just cause some of like Jen Stein glasses. Uh, yes. 
those colorwork yorks or um, skein deer knits. She's got some yes, and you have that movement of color through. Yep, great examples because those Amazing. those are knit for a certain area of the sweater to to shine. Exactly. So it'd be cool to feature. To show off our hand spun then to take this really super special skein. Yeah. And show it off through that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm finding that when you do learn more about it and you try it, which I encourage everybody to do, if you if you try spinning without the idea that the skein you're making has to be quote unquote enough for something and you just think about well where could i introduce this Mm. when i started thinking like that it opens up a lot more possibilities um i'm a huge fan of woolly wormhead do you know her ruth yeah yeah i mean i think when i started knitting i must have knit a dozen of her patterns like I was just on a hat kick and she's really clever in her construction and so she has these sideways hats that are essentially you're knitting a hat but you're knitting it flat back and forth and grafting it together and just flipping something from a vertical modality to horizontal when you talk about the natural striping that happens when you work with some dyed braids of fiber you end up with these really cool vertical stripes ultimately when you put the hat on from something that you've knit back and forth. And it's like, most of us could spin a hat's worth of hand spun. (laughs) Most of us have stashes full of 100 gram braids from that we've all at festivals and online and they're kind of sitting there waiting to be used, but exactly. What do you make? (laughs) Yep. I do look at it differently now. I'll see socks or hats or other things that look beautiful in variegated yarns um, or even in tonal and solids. But I think, oh, well, if you added the element of, and when I say hand spun, I know I've seen in our group people spinning beautiful single color, even undyed uh, skeins. Yes, gorgeous. (laughs) Yeah. Like that charcoal gray is you're oh, speaking my love language with that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so that's a whole realm of possibility. But if you do fall in love with something super colorful, I feel like you can use that natural dimension that happens, even if you're not going to do specific prep where you're working towards a specific color scheme or you're trying to keep colors together if you're just going to do what i'll call kind of the default just spin the braid as it is yeah there's a lot that you can do with that colorful yarn and i feel like there's more and more patterns out there that highlight some of that it's not just the patterns that are featuring yarns like spin cycle it's some of the other ones right that you can create those slow transitions of color if you want or you can highlight it through doing a fractal um, and all of a sudden this whole world opens up, you know, absolutely. I think one of the reasons why your sweater works so well is partially because it's very homogenous in color. You don't yeah. have any hits of like bright purple in there or like, right. like it's all kind of in within one area of the color wheel. And I think to a lot of people who don't know what to do with some of their, um, hand spun after it's spun, particularly yeah. Naturally striping, because you did quite a lot of prep with the braids. I did out the way it did, didn't you? I did, yeah. So what I had was I have to count one, two, 
four, I had four different, um, four different sources of fiber combined. So John Arbin, which I'm a huge fan of, um, I'm going to forget the name of this one company. Anyway, it's a, a small farm producer and, um, a braid from Cat and Sparrow UK and a braid from Grace, who's Babbles Traveling Yarns. Okay. And so when I was looking, oh, uh, I could do a sweater spin. I had two groupings. I had the undyed John Arbin, you know, pure kind of creamy white. Mm. And this other farm, this other farm braid that was a mix of everything you can think of breed wise. And it was all natural colors from beige through tan through chocolate brown through dark brown all combed in together and so that to me I was like oh if I blend those I'm gonna get this really soft natural kind of sandy thing going and then the cat and sparrow and the babbles yarns fibers were the high contrast navy orange dark brown um and to get they they went well together there was some blue tones that pulled them together. So initially it started with those two groups totally separate from each other. But by that time I had done enough kind of playing around to know that just introducing something like a creamy white into a spin just shifts the tone of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So in the yoke of my sweater, I have um, some more subtle browns and gray and, and, kind of uh, chocolatey tones by just adding in the John Arbin and the farm braid together. Wow. But I love color. <laughs> I, I love saturated color. I love jewel tones. Yeah. So then I was thinking, well, if I take the really, I'm using harsh loosely. If I take like those strong jewel tones and I introduce some of the browns and some of the tans, what would that look like? Right. And literally this was happening as I was spinning. Because I, I braided up the two groups with each other, and, and never were they to meet. But then I was like, what if I just take a strip of this and start introducing that? What is that going to look like? So, like, contrasting so them. Totally. And then you have the plying, which then just puts a whole other dimension on it as to where things end up next to each other. And what was really weird, not weird, I don't know how it happened. I'm sure there's some mathematical proportional thing, but <laughs> I, I would be plying and I'd be like, how on earth did I end up with a whole section of completely navy blue or all white and gray? Yeah. You know, for, I mean, I have a 42 inch bus. So for a good stretch of yardage, <laughs> I would have a single color. I was like, I, I didn't plan that. That happens. I don't either. Yeah. I, I'm, I was knitting it and I was like, colors matching up. What? <laughs> How did this on your sweater? You ended up with a bunch of the colors matching too. I did. And it was great and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't intentional. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So the prep was braiding those two groups together. And then as I was actually pulling off sections to spin, I was still doing some more mixing in and, and combining. Wow. Yeah. I'm happy with it and I would totally do it again. I was going to say, you have to do it again. And then see if you end up with those chunks. I know. Again. It's so, I'm sure somebody could figure that out. I don't know. Mm. The breeds in here, oh, Rachel, they're all over the place. I've got BFL, Shetland, um, Exmoor, 
there's some Devon close wool. Have you, have you worked with that? Yeah. So John Arman is located over in the UK Mm -hmm. and that's very local to them. And it was like a Devon double sorted um, top. And so it was like softest, dreamiest fiber, very slippery. (laughs) Um, And then the one that I got from Babbles Yarns was, it was very generically described as a British breeds blend. So there's a lot in there. It would be kind of just like uh, from the wool pool. So just throwing in. Yes, I imagine. All sorts of stuff that came locally. I imagine. Yeah. Which actually didn't present as much of a problem in, um, in drafting and things like that. I don't, when I was doing it, I don't remember having probably the double sorted top being so silky and slippery was the the thing that I had to account for the most. Um, you know, some fiber just wants to be together and you don't have to do very much. And some has to sort of be led into the draft. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A little more control. Um, but yeah, I don't remember the fact that it was so many different breeds being the source of any, any, uh, obstacles. I think the fact that most of the wool that you've got in there is all sort of from the medium to long wool kind of thing. Yes. I think you maybe, I'm guessing, you'll have to do a little experiment, but I bet you would have had a lot more trouble or some more problems if you'd had like Cormo and... Right. You know what I mean? Like you've just... Yeah. That's different because I know for like when I've done um, combo spinning in the past, one of the things that I found is if it's like um, stuff like uh, the fine wools, like Targi, mm-hmm. Merino, Rambouillet, and then you put that next to some of the long wools, like they're really different. Or like they are, or they need to be blended together a little bit more. Like they either by carding or you know, like a yeah. single pass through the drum carder. So you've got these two strips. This is something I'd really like to try. Actually, uh, mm. you have. I don't have anything right here that I can show you, but you take two strips of comb top that you've already stripped down from the braid. Right. Take your strip, lay it on the, on the drum of the drum carter. Take your other strip from your other braid, lay it down so that they're layered on top. On top. Throw it through the drum carter just once. Right. Kind of like stick them together. Do you know what I mean? Like just to kind of. That would be interesting. Yeah. And only once, because you don't want to actually blend the color. You don't want to like, you just want to like, it's kind of, it would be kind of like pin drafting them together. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think Actually, I do know what you mean, and that's really exciting for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just spitballing. I just thought of this right now. Um, because it's something that I've often, I've always wondered, like, how to get these combo drafts to kind of work yeah. a little bit more for us. Yes, and the way you're describing doing it now would probably be, get you the most consistent result in how it would spin. Um, Especially yeah, thinking back. Different breeds. Yeah, there's like, you're right. There's no Merino in here. There's no, there's like Romney and other things that just are closer to each other in their properties anyway, which I will admit I did not think about <laughs> as part of you the don't, preparation. You don't when you're starting though. No, I was that. thinking color and because they were all braids, it was kind of like my spinning method could probably be the same. But yeah, properties of the breeds would be different. I, I've since spun. Uh, Rambouillet and you know yarns like um, Tunis. Have you ever spun American Tunis? 
Yeah, I've got a, a bunch of it. With Tunis about two or three years ago because we could get it locally. Oh, and nice. We had it handed out in the guild. We got these huge half pound bags of it. Locally. Yeah. It was $5. And <laughs> I think I ended up taking Katrina's as well because she wasn't going to be able to get it done. Like she knew it would end up stashed for years. So yeah. I ended up taking it. I hand combed all of it. It's still to this day some of my favorite yarn I've ever made. Yeah. Oh, I love that you hand combed it. I, um, there's a farmer. I don't want to misrepresent where she is. Her name is Cheris and she's Tar Heel Billy Farmer. Um, and that's what she raises, American Tunis. No. And yeah, I, I'm tr trying desperately to remember. I must have just come across her. I, I do some hashtag searches sometimes to refresh my Instagram feed. Yes. Um, and I think I was searching like black farmers or black farms or something like that. And she doesn't post a lot. So the fact that I even found her was wow. luck. And I've since gotten um, more tunis from her. I got involved in the Shave Em to Save Em program. And so then I was paying attention to what breeds do I have in my stash and which ones do I want to try. And so I got some more from her. It's like cotton clouds. <laughs> that's a great way it's to describe so it. It's so spongy. And, and that's another one where getting in the flow when I first tried it, that's probably what made me fall in love with it. It was like, this is very clear how this wants to be spun. Yeah. I don't really need to think about it that much. I feel but like yeah, Romney, they both are like that for me. Yes. They've got that. They just spin um, those long wools. Oh, this is this is Romney on my spindle. Is there something else in there? Is it blended or is like, it 100% Romney? It's 100% Romney. This is from Prado Delana Sheep Farm. It's like a grayish white combo. Um, Romney CVM. Yeah. I think there's those two go together somehow, but Rommeldale uh, CVM. Yeah. yeah. No, this is her Romney. That's right. So this, the, the longer the staple and the stickier the wool, the more likely I am to throw it on a drop spindle. Okay. I was going to ask you how, how you kind of choose. Yeah. Because like we were talking about, there's a lot more checking in, but I just feel like, if the fiber wants to be together anyway, I don't have a lot to do. And what I tend to focus on is just giving my spindle the same force of spin each time. So like the fiber is spending relatively the same amount of time being twisted as I'm drafting. And with the stickier wools and the longer staple, so easy. It's easier by comparison to some other things. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. It's it's fun. I would love to hear a little bit more about the shave them to save them, um, because yeah. Anne knit Tristed on our Slack channel. Um, she has done a lot of work with them, and um, yeah, it's just fantastic to hear somebody else in the community doing, um, you know, trying to trying to participate as well. Yeah, and I'm I was I felt like I was new to it. I'm learning about programs like this, so it's run through the Livestock Conservancy. Yeah. Uh, and it's shave them to save them. My understanding is that it's called that because there are a lot of breeds um, that are being raised and not have not yet been really discovered by yeah. folks like us. By modern <laughs> <hand spinners>. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of times that wool 
goes to goes to waste in essence or it's you know it's used as much as possible in a farming scenario but certainly not produced for retail and some of the breeds they're not necessarily self-sustaining as meat sheep or other things so they're dying out yeah and so they're dying out and there are there's a whole kind of portion of the livestock conservancy program that is now dedicated to saving some of those breeds and i think it's a great thing because from the little bit i've discovered the farms that provide these this wool this type of wool that's on the um would you call it endangered no there's another word that they use for it threatened yeah it's something like um Oh, I can't think of the word, but that's the essence of it is they're, they're on a list of breeds that are nearing extinction. And so the farms that have these sheep have very few and really any kind of attention that can be put on that is a big deal to each of those small farms. Absolutely. So I have, I'm looking at my passport. I have on sheep pajama pants, just so you know, I'm not like fully <laughs> decked out. Fancy hand-spun sweater, sheepy pajama pants. <laughs> I love it. So you get, it's this whole kind of feeling of belonging. You get a little passport oh, if you join the Shave Them to Save Them program, which is free to join. And there are farms who have said, I want to be a farm that participates in this program. I have one of these uh, types. I have one of these breeds. And then you can, you know, you can find them online. Um, there's a website, rarewool.org is the website to get information on it. And then in your passport, you get this in the mail, this passport. And in your passport, each page is one of the affected breeds. Oh, cool. And you can get a little sticker from any farm that you have uh, purchased from, purchased a breed from them. They send you a little sticker. That's amazing. So like, that's my Tunis page. I got my two stickers. This is, this is totally going back to like, I love it. Scouts and girl guides and whatever. Like I got my Tunis badge, Rachel. I love it. We, okay. So I have to tell you, this completely just speaks to me. We went to the Yukon last summer. I've mentioned it in the podcast a little bit. And the tourism Yukon has a passport program. Ah. So here are all of these baby boomers who are doing their pilgrimage back to Alaska. Yep. And they go through Yukon to get there. Um, and they're all running around to all <laughs> of the um, museums, heritage sites, points of interest, all the places so that they can yep. get all their passport stamps for tourism. I get it. <laughs> I totally we get totally, it. Like we were, we were like pretending it was the kids that were doing it. It was my stamps. I there is no shame in that. Any kind I, of I love it. Gamification at its totally best, right. And totally, the, and and the marker, it. the tangible marker. Like, look at this thing I'm a part of, yeah. um, and it connects you immediately to other people. And for for me, shave them to save them had me looking for fiber sources that I would not have come across just on my own. I don't think Um, in the last two years, especially I've just had a lot of this awakening to how much is out there. Like if you're just talking about sheep breeds, there's a lot to know. A lot. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, learning that there's a whole program around it and then 
even making personal connections, like with Charis, this farmer, it's like, okay, that's another person I know that's not just an Instagram account. I've now met her in person. That's amazing. Yeah, we both taught at a Vogue Knitting Live event. She was actually teaching about what it's like to be a farmer in this environment, in this community. Um, and I was teaching sock knitting and, and drop spindle spinning. So, yeah, the connection is pretty cool through something like that. And then you feel like you're part of um, just like a tangent. My husband this week was encouraging me, and I've said this maybe six times at least in conversation. He sent me this link about something he was reading that focused on tending your own garden. And so much stuff is happening in the world right now that you can either feel like there's absolutely nothing I can do to change these big things. Yeah. And there's no way that my little beam of positivity is going to affect this chasm of negativity. Yeah. Um, but he's like, you tend your own garden. So just talking to you about this, I'm like, yeah, I'm part of this program that's like, you know, national and it's, it does impact individual people, but it's part of this larger mindset. So yeah, that's a reminder. Yeah. Our garden is pretty large. <laughs> yeah. it, it kind of goes back to that idea of like, um, I was just talking to this about this with one of my best friends this past week, this idea of who are the five people that you surround yourself on a regular basis. Yes. And I think in our community, um, it almost kind of becomes a little bit bigger than that. Like who, it's not necessarily the five physical people. It's what is the energy that you're putting out there and who are the yeah. people that you're allowing to reflect back their energy? So who are the people that you're that. seeking out so that to help one another um, to, yeah, just reflect back the kind of energy that you're hoping to put out into the world. Um, I love that. Because it's getting, it is very challenging. I mean, you know, yeah. can, you know, although I'm in Canada and I'm not American and I'm not in the States, we're, we're very affected by what's going on. South yeah. Um, yeah. I think all of us are becoming more aware of how far reaching the effect of anything that's happening on any scale, yeah. you know, it has all of these impacts, even just in, if you're a person who doesn't live, like if you don't live in the U S but you're consuming the news that happens here, and you have any level of empathy, that's, a, that's an impact. That's having an effect on you. Absolutely. Or if it's making you have different conversations than you used to have because of what you're seeing in the news, like that's impactful. Books, engaging mm -hmm. podcasts, um, yep. not turning off the news when it gets really uncomfortable and when you're sort of seeing their fidgeting and not feeling really very, you know, sort of having some of your fundamental sort of thoughts, feelings, ideas about the world being, being upended. Yes. And yeah, I think the ripple yeah, effect not, is not, pretty not. wide, even if you're not living in a specific state. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like what you said about reflecting back energies because that's that does make me feel like our garden is pretty large, and if we do tend our even our fiber garden, um, yeah, there's a lot to that. I've been uh, I've been part of a lot of group related things. Like CrossFit, I think I've heard you talk about CrossFit before. I was big into CrossFit, scrapbooking, yoga, all of these kind of group-centric things. You know, I just find my way to people who like to do stuff but together. Yes, <laughs> um, but in the knitting, I'll say in the fiber, not just knitting, in the fiber fabric thread community, it feels like that's the community that has people that are the most multi-layered. Mm. Do you find that too? Yes. 
that's a really interesting way of putting it. Absolutely. Like, I wouldn't say that I slot everybody else into a single category, but I just have had conversations in the fiber community that go well beyond your last project that you made. <laughs> the last project almost becomes the spinoff point for these other things. Current events, things that are happening in the world, books that we're reading, podcasts yep. that we're um, um, taking in, other people's making and the things that yes. we learn from them other people's thoughts and ideas and wanting to share those with one another, having the courage to challenge one another. Yes. Even that huge. Yeah, for sure. There is a warmth that comes with this community, but like any group, we, we have things that we need to patch up and fix and do better. Yeah. And I do agree that if you start with, well, we have this one really cool thing in common I would hope that it means, I don't know this for everyone, but I would hope that it means you have a context and you can start from that context. And then if the next set of conversations is challenging, you're entering it from a warmer place. Yeah. Um, and maybe you get further in your conversation with someone who feels challenged because of that. Yeah. See, it's such a philosophical thing. It's, <laughs> it's not just yarn. No, it's not just yarn. It was never about the yarn. It was never about the yarn. I find that over and over again. It's like with the, one of our neighbors, she's just little, she's four, and yeah. uh, she fell yesterday on a bike. It's Friday now. And it was late in the day, and it had been raining all day, and long week, everything's getting, you know, people getting back to routines and so on. Oh, yeah. Home for so long. And her mom, who's a really dear friend of mine, she's standing there, we're chit-chatting, we're having a cup of coffee and just standing in the cul-de-sac. And yeah. Lila falls and big tears, like completely oh. out of, not in sync with the degree of hurt from the fall, you know? Got it. Sarah looks at me and she's like, it's not about the fall. Yep. What are you upset about? Well, yesterday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my older you know because their older sister yep. this whole thing came out and she's like and I often feel that way about our community like yeah it's not it's not the make it's it's not the 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 yarn itself it's not the spinning itself it's not the the wheel acquisition or whatever right but all these things that are happening underneath it's supporting yeah um you know uh, small makers, I'm trying small businesses, um, yeah, businesses trying to buy locally, trying to support something like um, Shave Them to Save Them, having conversations, right. um, yeah, that can that can be very difficult. Um, yeah, totally. I think there's there's room for it to be still centered on fiber or fabric or something else. Yeah, but common. really, you're just talking about people who all ended up at that craft and so those people they have their layers and their stories and how i mean why would you separate them why would you separate the person and their feelings and values from the craft itself that's not how i like to talk about those who came before that's not how those who came before us did it no. <laughs> they they use these crafts as a reason to get around the fire and hash some things out yeah absolutely yeah I often wonder, we used to get into some really um, big conversations at knit night when we still had it. Oh. When I lived in Vancouver, it was 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, we had a really dedicated group of, of um, 
women that would come out in very, very interesting backgrounds and very mm -hmm. interesting lives and several who were um, um, expats, they were, they were American oh. and living in Canada. Um, quite a few that were European and living in Canada for different reasons because Vancouver attracts a lot of people because of the yes. university, right? Yes. University of British Columbia for those who, who aren't from, from here. And uh, so lots of research that happens there. And I was listening to this podcast episode at the time, reflecting to my husband about these conversations that were happening in, in knitting group and how like they were so intense and I felt so tired afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to this podcast episode and he was talking about, it was in the context of marriage and healthy okay. marriage, but it's easier to have deep conversation and go to those uncomfortable places when you're not making eye contact. So Whoa. I often wondered <laughs> if oh. part of the reason in the maker community, why we're able to go there, quote unquote, yeah. is because we're not always making eye contact because we're making, we're looking wow. at our making. Right. And he taught, he would, he used to, I don't know if the podcast is still on the air, but he used to talk a lot about if you're having a really tough time communicating with your spouse or your partner or um, your basically your significant other who whether yeah. you're married or not um, and you just can't get through to each other go for a walk or a drive because then you're next to each other and you're not making eye contact and it's not so intense and you're not I just got goosebumps I can 100% tell you, you that works it does <laughs> even between uh, friends yes it works I, i'm j i'm sitting here the rush of conversations that have happened in that way even with my daughters driving somewhere and what i learn about them in that time period because we're in the car whereas maybe in the house we all would be in separate spaces or you're and and staring at each other yeah. yeah and my husband is not he, he he will tell you i'm not a talker he's not a talker get him on a walk everything comes out he <laughs> I, I, there have been times where i'd be like where have you been holding all that <laughs> like yeah. so much for not being a talker once he gets on his feet and he's moving yeah so i would attest to that and you're right about making i think in those spaces probably having something in your hands too is is a foundation of some kind yeah, like I have this tangible thing I'm holding on to yeah. and then the thoughts can come more freely. I love that. Yeah. Do you notice, um, I think too, when you've got your hands busy, especially if you're like, for me, I'm a little, I, I'm, I am an introvert um, mm -hmm. and I find if my hands are busy, I'm more able to articulate what I'm, what I'm wanting to say and how I want to say it. I can be a little bit more thoughtful. I can pretend this sounds terrible, but it's a great trick. Yeah. You can pretend to be like that. You've, that you're kind of like intent on something for a moment, but yes. you a minute to get your thoughts together. I think not, that's genius. Yeah. You're not, saying, <laughs> um, 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 you know, yeah, I think that's genius. I think knowing that about yourself is a good thing because then you can intentionally put yourself into situations knowing, well, I have this thing that works for me conversationally if i feel like i want to participate here's a way i know i can do that yeah absolutely i think that's great uh, for me it's a um walking for me is because i can talk <laughs> we've been on for an hour i can talk um walking movement for me is a is a brain release 
So I need to be moving to process things that should not have external input. So when I need to like go internal and figure something out or plan something, I, I need to be moving. Um, making, having my hands busy is an intentional slowdown because my thoughts will race or I will feel anxious about things. And sometimes I can just do the, let me sit and breathe. Sometimes I can get myself there, but I'm more likely to get myself there by picking up my needles or putting something in my hands. It's a, it's a forced focus. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Do you find you're like when you're spinning at the wheel, that is another way of being able to do that? Rachel, I have been dozing off at my wheel. Like, <laughs> I will be in a state and then sit at my wheel and be like, this, it's an overwhelming calm. Like, I can't do it for more than 20, 30 minutes before I start to literally zone out. Wow. And I welcome that sometimes. Sometimes it's not what I intend. I'm so intent on, like, filling this bobbin. <laughs> but... Sometimes I welcome that the sound of the wheel totally goes to a low volume. The actual motion of treadling is something I'm not paying attention to after a time. So yeah, totally. That autopilot moving. Yeah. Mindfulness. Hmm. I wish that I reached that. I wish that I allowed myself to reach that with knitting more. Interesting. I'm very quick to pick up my knitting and then put it right back down. Like I'll have another thought or I want to pick up my phone or do something else. And with spinning, I'm not as likely to get up and be like, oh, I need to go do that other thing. I'm more likely to sit there for a bit. Interesting. I wonder if it's because with spinning, like you've actually got this big machine in front of you. Because I find that with weaving, like once I sit down at the loom, I'm probably there for a while. Yeah. Um, and I actually intentionally don't make a whole bunch of bobbins. Um, mm. It makes me get up and wind more bobbins and then go sit back down. Cause I would honestly <laughs> sit there for like eight hours and just, you know, I think there's a place for that sometimes. <laughs> I think some days that's what's needed. Especially in these lives that we seem to be leading right now that just seem to be yeah. so crazy. And yet we're all home. <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. Where did all the stuff come from? Yeah. Yeah. The reason I would like to do it with my knitting is because I, I, I am a, I'm a pro. Oh, I was about to say that I'm a product knitter, but that's not really true. I'm a, I'm a process knitter in that I light up when a pattern gives me something that I can then take to another project. Yeah. So the minute I'm like, oh, I've never done this increase before. I'm like, this is great. I could use that in a sock or I could use it here. So in that way, I'm a process knitter. And I almost think I am not doing myself a service by picking things up and putting them down so often because I'm not diving into the process really. Of course. I I'm not sinking into it. Yeah. So even with this sweater that I'm making, I tell myself, if you pick it up and you go to start a row, finish the row. Like, just start there. Yes. Are you a pretty monogamous knitter? Like, do you kind of, are you kind of a one project person or do you? Not even a little bit. Oh. <laughs> I have come to the point where it's probably a couple that I'm active, actively 
working. So I have a lot of things cast on, but actively working, usually at least two. I've got this sweater and I have a sock project now, which is my own pattern. Oh, fantastic. I love that we're on video so I can show yeah. it to you. But for listeners, it's um, my R&R, my rest and rejuvenation socks. And I'm using my hand spun, which I'm very proud of. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, John Arbin Textiles again. It's a Falkland Corydale. Okay. And I've made a very lightly plied two-ply. Okay. Um, it, has a, it has a good amount of halo. Yeah, and I find Corydale to be a strong fiber um, when I've knit with it before. So I'm actually combining it with a commercial yarn, which is merino, alpaca, and a little bit of nylon. And it's just a, it's essentially a, a single row striping pattern, but just by m manipulating the stitches, you get this, um, you get this kind of, yeah. That's just beautiful. And I'm loving it. So having, you know, sweater and sock, I'm getting very different movement for my fingers, which is good. Yeah. Um, totally different needle sizes. And then my brain has to go to a different place with each one. Yeah. So that's that's kind of how I came to always having at least a couple. Oh, that's awesome. So I want to ask you about the podcast and then um, I am aware of the time. So yeah. how did you come to podcasting? What is your podcast? Where can people find you? All those good things. Yeah. Uh, so my podcast is the Hey Brownberry Knitting Podcast. And I even now hesitate to say knitting because of all the things I've taken on since I started it. <laughs> I've been podcasting for a few years now and I've, I've done many more crafts since then. Um, my first podcast was filmed on my phone in a hotel room when I was on a work trip. I used to, I work in a technology field and I used to travel very frequently. And it came from just getting more involved in the knitting community. And of course, down the rabbit hole, I went finding other video podcasts to watch, which was very comforting while traveling. It's like having this little piece of something that wasn't quite TV, um, you know, turning on the TV in the hotel room, but I could relate to a lot of what folks were talking about. Yeah. And I just picked up my phone one time and thought, I'm going to try recording something, put it out there on YouTube. Um, I don't think that I'm to your techie level, but I am very much into figuring out new pieces of software and how does one get a video from your phone onto the internet for other people to see? <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of how it started. And it was me sitting at one of those very standard hotel room desks, just talking about the knitting I'd happened to bring with me. Yeah. Um, but it appealed to me right off the bat because YouTube comments, you know, people saying, Oh, tell me more about this project or sharing about what they were making. I just saw that as an instant connection point. Yeah. And it's another creative outlet for me. So my podcast has, it has had lots of formats over the years. Because I was traveling, I had a period of time where a lot of my podcasts were about me visiting yarn stores in the place that I happened to be in for a work meeting. That's so cool. And so, yeah, I would interview yarn shop owners and um, talk about whatever place I was in. And then... I had the opportunity to start going to more events and festivals that were fiber related. So just giving people a perspective of that, maybe they couldn't go there. I call them virtual visits. So like, maybe you can't go to this event, but here's what it was like. 
um, yeah, it's taken many different forms over the years. I love showing process. I love showing behind the scenes when I started getting into dyeing, um, natural dyeing in particular. It, you've learned this. There are a lot of steps to natural dyeing. <laughs> That's a little um, bit <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And so just, just going through that myself and being comfortable on camera enough to be like, hey, this is, this is how I came to it. So it's taken different forms, but the common thread has always been each time I put it out there, I connect with another person, a new person, or someone who's been watching forever comes back again and you recognize them. Uh, I love it for that. I think your podcast has an element that I've only started recently doing, which is a, an educational piece, a, a teaching piece to it, which drew totally drew me in. Um, I have done that. I've done tutorials and other things, but that's been since I started designing uh, patterns and realize how just offering somebody that teach a man to fish thing. So offering somebody the ability to do something yeah. has, I have gained a lot from that. I found a lot of good in that. And so I've incorporated a little bit more of it into the podcast because then it's available to everybody. Absolutely. I yeah. That really resonates with about the, uh, you know, teach man to fish because, um, I think that was something that really resonated with me. I posted it on the random hashtag random. I'll link it in the show notes too, but Clara Parks wrote a um, tribute to Kat Bordy. Yes. And she talks in there about um, how like Kat was so uh, generous with her knowledge and yes, you know, wanted to bring as many people into the fold as possible. And yeah. um, you know, I think from a fiber arts education standpoint, the more people who are, doing and showing how the more people will um give it a try you know like you yes. that drop spindling workshop or me calling exactly it, you know diana twist i talk about her on the podcast sometimes like you know i i didn't know her somebody gave me her phone number and was like call her she'll help you get the wheel running <laughs> okay <laughs> sure it's just great that that exists yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I also, you know, I'm very conscious too, um, you know, I'm a, for, for your listeners, I'm a black woman living in America and I know that in our fiber community, we want, we, we need representation from all sides. We need more representation for people who are currently underrepresented, I'll say. And I am super conscious of how I feel when I go on YouTube and see a maker who looks like me. Mm. So part of my podcast is I'm going to put my face on a thing that says knitting. I'm going to put my face on a thing that's about sewing. I want someone else to have that experience. And, and then because of that, dive in <laughs> and yeah, find, right. and find what I have found. Um, if that's the thing that calls them in. So I'm, I'm conscious of that too, because it's, love that yeah i don't have to tell you it's a lot to create content it's yep. a lot to connect <laughs> if yep. you want to put out quality material it yep. takes some doing so yeah that that helps to center it for me as well i think um one of the things that ben bergeron who's the he's a crossfit guy you know who he is yep he always talks, I don't know if you ever read his book, Chasing Excellence, um, but he talks about these three things uh, or two or three things, focus two or three things in your life. Um, you can't right. do anything else. If you have five or six things that you're focused on in your life, you've got too many things. Yeah. 
if you want to do them well. And, um, but if you want to kind of just get by and kind of dabble in a lot of stuff, then, then have lots of things. He's, he's not saying one way is better or worse. It's just, if you want to be really great, yeah, a few things, you can only have a couple of things on your plate. And one it, my, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't, cause there's only 24 hours in a day, right? And eight of them right. theoretically are asleep. Um, right. And, um, yeah, one of the, like one of my three things is feeling connected and mm -hmm. that really takes so many different forms and it goes back yes. to what we were talking about earlier. Like who are the five people that you're surrounding with? Oh, yeah. I'm well, back. Are. <laughs> um, who are those five people? But also that tending the the garden and and um, yes, who are the people out there? And you know, when we look at Instagram, we scroll through Instagram. Who are the faces that we're seeing? And um, who are the people that we're allowing to have the most influence upon the messages that we're receiving about our making? Yes. Yeah. That's uh, huge. Yeah. I think all of us are having an opportunity now to reflect on some of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's helpful having people like yourself um, on your podcast and, um, you know, putting out some of that, um, you know, having that content in there that um, has a little bit of an educational event mm -hmm. to it, but also just being present and being, yeah. being there, you know, just showing what we're doing and showing what you're, you're making and being excited yes. about it. Yes. And then you will find, you will find whatever groups you need to find and you'll find the right project and you'll find the next thing to get into. That's been my experience. Yeah. Um, you, you said in your podcast, I'm going to, I'm going to put the spotlight on you for a oh, second. Yeah. I started binge watching your podcast because at the beginning of one of them, you said you are welcome in this place. And I was like, this is, these are my people. <laughs> Someone who is in a digital format, but is being specific about that phrase is someone that I would have a conversation with. And wow. at the beginning of my podcast, I say, welcome, welcome in. Yes. Cause that's what we're doing. We, we are inviting. Yes. <laughs> and so those little markers to me are intentional. Absolutely. And, and you know, some part of me responded to that and I was like, Oh yeah, I want to know more about this. <laughs> tell you Mars that is very you're giving me goosebumps that's very interesting <laughs> that you picked up on that because I it took me a long time to get up the courage to say that um, really yeah I it was like months before I actually I, I would write it in the show notes or I would like write it in my notes but it took me a long time to actually say it now I have goosebumps <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the only reason is because I I um I, I, I deeply, deeply, deeply meant it, mean it, meant it. Yes. So, and then I, um, and I know for some opening the doors and saying that all are welcome and that you're welcome in this place where we are right, right now. Um, some people are not okay with that. They yeah. All to be welcome. Um, right. Those are right. really hard conversations. And by saying you are welcome, I was saying that, uh, that there are others that therefore will not be welcome. Yes. Well, that's why it took you some time, right? That's probably why it took you some time is not the words. It's the meaning behind them. Absolutely. And it was hard because, um, those growth, those moments of growth and those, um, the things that we say matter 
and yes and the intention <laughs> <laughs> and the, the intention behind it matters and and i, I yeah it well, good. Then I'm glad I can give you the public feedback that it mm. it impacted a person deciding to be part of that place. That real that means so much, so much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was a good call. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I think that we have so many ways to do that. You don't always know what that thing is going to be, yeah. but we have lots of ways to create that feeling. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And exploring those and not being afraid of it is, is I think the it's time consuming, but so meaningful. Agreed. Yeah. So where can people find you online? I am Hey Brownberry everywhere. H-E-Y-B-R-O-W-N-B-E-R-R-Y. I'm on Ravelry, Etsy, YouTube, and Instagram as Hey Brownberry. <laughs> and I love your Instagram feed. It is. Oh, thanks. I find it so inspiring. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm very, very happy to have a photo based place to hang out because I'm big into pictures and then whatever words people attach to them. So thanks for saying that. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mars, for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation in. I'm happy to be amongst the woolen spinning crew. They're just amazing people. <laughs> they really are. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. I highly recommend those of you who are not yet patrons to join Rachel's Patreon community. It does not matter what your spinning level is. I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yep. Thanks, Mars. You're welcome. I'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us on Wool and Spinning Radio. I hope that wherever this finds you, you are enjoying some making, some spinning, some knitting, some weaving. 